morning, church. Whether you're here in the room as the church or you're somewhere else online as the church, we are the church. And the power that you feel right now, the energy that you feel right now inside yourself is resurrection power because today is resurrection day. But before we get too ahead of ourselves, um, as miraculous as the birth of Jesus was, God emptying himself and becoming human, today I think is even more miraculous and more important because it's resurrection day. New creation inaugurated, the future kingdom coming more and more into the present. Because Jesus is alive right now, we will be like him in God's coming future. But, what about Friday and Saturday? What about yesterday and the day before? We're going to be dwelling in Psalm 22 this morning. And between the three of us, we will, uh, we will read straight through it. So we're going to start in verse 1. Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All right, let's pause. We didn't get very far. Matthew and Mark use the first half of verse 1 and quote Jesus saying that from the cross. What do you think Jesus is doing by saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Lots of people believe that he is saying that God has abandoned him. He's by himself. He's questioning everything. But just hang on to that for a second. What if it's something like this? What if by saying one phrase, one thing, that people would have known so well that that's all he had to say? And if you think, well, what, what does that mean? Psalm 22 is 31 verses. Well, watch this. If I say it was the best of times and it was the worst of times, some of you in the room know what I'm talking about, right? Tale of two cities. You, you know the story. You know the whole book, so I don't need to say anything else. Maybe for some in the room, if I say a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, now you know the rest. I don't have to tell you the rest of it, right? For, for our brother Jim Shannon, it might be space, the final frontier, and he knows all the rest of it. Or maybe for some younger people in the room, it might be twinkle, twinkle, little star. That's all I have to say on any of those and we all know that because what if familiar stories to us were taken and were fulfilled? And by fulfilled, we mean filled to the maximum of meaning that's available for that story. Not that they don't mean anything now, but they can mean so much more. Fulfillment takes something already applicable and known and raises it up to a new level of meaning in a more powerful way. What if Jesus illustrated how perfectly he took on all of humanity's faults, all of our flaws, all of our sins, all of our ridicule, all of the abuse we receive, and all of our emotions, and they were all flung directly at him. And he took that, he took, he took himself from the broken position and our fallen position of being human, which he's feel fully human and fully God, and he joined us in the midst of of human life. What if that's what he's saying in that phrase? Jesus joins us in our Fridays and our Saturdays because guess what? That's all we have right now. We only have Fridays and Saturdays. We don't have our resurrection day yet, but because he is, we will. Psalm 22 means something 
to all that have prayed it and to all that knew it so well that that one phrase would have brought it all to their mind. Listen as Jesus takes the story known well enough for a single line to recall the rest of the prayer, the rest of the content, and feels it, fills it, excuse me, fills it with the maximum meaning in the events of Friday at Calvary. Continuing in verse 1. Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night. But I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted you and you delivered them. To you, they cried out and were saved. In you, they trusted and they were not put to shame. But I am a worm. I am not a man. Scorned by everyone despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me first trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Have you ever been there? Maybe you're there right now. Listen to what Luke says in chapter 24, verses 44 and 45. Then he said to them, him being Jesus, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. Yep, Jesus dies in solidarity with the suffering of all humanity since the beginning of time. The story of God's people freed from Egyptian slavery had meaning when they read Exodus. But Jesus fills the idea to the maximum when he frees God's people from sin and death. The blood of sheep and goats covering sins year after year when they had to make the sacrifices and they celebrated the Passover. Jesus' blood fills the covering of sins to the maximum level once and for all. Jesus says he came to do everything he came to do. He completed and it fulfilled all the scriptures. This is how God proves his love for us by taking us at the very lowest and worst point and saying something along the lines of, yes, you did this to me, but I'm not concerned about that. Let me provide a new way of us being together for eternity. Jesus gives us Sunday, Resurrection Day, the day unobtainable without him. Jesus fulfills the story of Scripture, the love of God, and human life to the maximum level. Jesus moves us into the eternal family of God, higher than the angels, the maximum level of what it means to actually be a human being. John Micah is going to come and tell us about a meal remembered for 4,000 years that had meaning that Jesus takes to the maximum level, to a new covenant, allowing us to be with God as one family for eternity. Strength when I am weak, you are the treasure that I see, you are my all in all. 
Seeking you as a precious jewel, Lord, to give up, fight me a fool. You are my all in all. Taking my sin, my cross, my shame, rising again, I bless your name. You are my all in all. When I fall down, you pick me up. When I am dry, you fill my cup. You are my all in Continue the reading of Psalm 22, picking up in verse 12 through verses 21. Many bulls encircle me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me. Like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs are all around me. A company of evildoers encircles me, My hands and feet have shriveled. I can literally count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among themselves. And for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far away. Oh, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion, from the horns of the wild oxen. You have rescued me. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Psalm 22 stands alone as, a, in, as an intense, really intense lament that moves you and I from death 
to life, especially when you read it in its entirety like we're going to this morning. Stan has opened it up. I have the middle portion, and Leslie will bring it up here in just a few moments. But not only is this a prayer by an individual who feels abandoned and alone in the midst of attack, check this out. It's one thing to be alone. It's one thing to feel abandoned. It's another thing to feel disconnected from the presence of God. That's a lament, to feel disconnected from the presence of God. In fact, the psalmist feels outnumbered, if you heard the text just then, surrounded, if you would, by aggressive and powerful villains and enemies. The psalmist lists bulls and lions and dogs and wild oxen. All of those things would have been seen as aggressive and powerful. It goes on to say they're like ruthless scavengers. And the psalmist feels like their prey, helpless, surrounded by them. And you can actually hear, if you read through this well, you can hear the terror in the cadence of this prayer. Drained of energy, poured out. Just listen to the deterioration of the one praying. They feel the affliction throughout their entire body. Stan just mentioned maybe you have been in some of these hopeless moments and maybe you do know what it feels like to feel so hopeless that you feel it down to your bones. Do you hear what the psalmist is saying? He says, I can feel it in my bones. My heart is weak like melted wax. My mouth is parched. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. In fact, I feel completely exposed and unprotected to the point that even my rib cage is stretched out and exposed. And rather than help, all those who are watching the psalmist or witnessing this take place, they taunt, they stare, and they gloat at the condition of the psalmist. Death hasn't arrived yet, but they're already casting lots and dividing up the clothes. Not even dead yet. So here's a question for you. Is there any wonder why this prayer would have been on Jesus' mind? It locates him in his circumstances and experiences as he hangs on the cross in agony. He knew the Psalms well. Now think about this. The psalm articulates the movements. We've been talking about the movements of the psalms. This psalm articulates the movements of Jesus' feelings. Have you, just, have you ever just paused maybe on Easter just to consider Jesus' feelings? This psalm articulates his feelings and the events surrounding his sacrifice. Jesus, in misery and distress with just a little remaining breath in his lungs utters this petition of rescue to his father. And by quoting, as Stan has just said, by quoting Psalm 22.1, this is what Jesus does. He invites us in to his experience and connects us to the entire psalm and the entire event with him. And in fact, anyone hearing Jesus at that moment who would have been familiar with the psalm would have recalled the remaining words of the psalm. And I think this, if they've got the entire psalm in their mind, they're going to know how the psalm ends. 
which is where Leslie's about to come up. They're going to be reminded that there's, while there's pain and suffering right now, something better is coming. And so they would have heard hope in this language, that the outcome concludes with this. We serve a God who keeps his promises and rescues. And so not long, after the psalmist describes the culmination of disaster, the psalm begins to shift a little bit. And we begin to hear the culmination of wholeness, well-being, and grace as the psalmist reaches out to the only one who can deliver, rescue, and save. These are my circumstances, the psalmist says in verses 1 through 21. And then he shifts and says, but you, O Lord, don't be far away. O my help, come quickly. In other words, Lord, move Right? Move, God. Move closer to humanity. Move closer to me. Be near. And if you and I allow ourselves to listen closely, Psalm 22 moves us from Friday into Easter Sunday. Resurrection is imminent. A great feast, a festival meal is on the horizon. Do you know what that feels like, right? To know that a a meal is coming, a festival is coming, you're going to be celebrating with friends and family. So we know that a festival is coming, a meal is coming. And even better yet, everyone is invited to this meal. And there's a place at the table for you, and there's a place at the table for me. And while you and I are at this table, we are reminded that we are not alone. Look around this room. Just in the space. Even if you're online, look around the people you are with. You and I are not alone. You and I sit and we eat with others who have experienced fear. My guess is there are many of you in this room who have experienced fear. Maybe you've experienced uncertainty. Maybe you've experienced shame. Maybe you've experienced defeat. Maybe you've experienced despair. And just maybe you've experienced being alone. And just maybe you have felt, I just want God to be a little bit closer. I long for the presence of God. And so therefore, we encourage each other at this table. And at this table, we encounter Jesus. And as we encounter Jesus, he encourages us, the community of God, that the future and the future generations to come, that God is good. And that he is present and he is active in this world and in our lives. And at this table, when you and I encounter Jesus, he reminds us that God is faithful. That God is love. That God is on the move. That God heals. That God does rescue. That God does deliver. And God saves. And at this table, we express gratitude with the psalmist that only the living God is capable of. And sufficient, and that this God comes into circumstances of death and gives new life. Death does not have the final word. And so at this table, you and I profess hope because at this table, we speak of a hope that changes everything. Hope changes everything. So at this table, on this Easter morning, You and I celebrate as people who know the risen Jesus and who are summoned to live resurrected lives that that represent his kingdom.
that's just a few of the things that are happening at this table right now. Take your cup, if you would. Go ahead and peel that top layer off that exposes the bread. And while you have that in your hands, just take a moment, if you don't mind. And we're going to sit as a community, still and quiet, just for a moment, to encounter Jesus, to empathize with the experiences that he had on the cross, and then also just think about what it was like for Jesus, for his heart to begin beating again, and for the blood to begin flowing in his veins again and for him to take his first breath again as he's resurrected. Let's pray. Father God, we simply just cannot even begin to articulate the gratitude that is within us for your son Jesus. Father, we also cannot begin to express the gratitude that we have in our hearts for you as deliverer and as rescuer and as the one who saves. So, Father, as we take of this bread, as we break this bread and put this bread to our mouth, may we be reminded of the event of your son and the impact that he continues to have on this world and the bread of life that he is. And as we feast and as we open this table up, Father, May this bread of life nourish us and satisfy us and sustain us. We thank you for your son's body. We thank you for the bread of life that he is. Father, be with us as we move closer and closer into his image. And it's in his name and through the power of your Holy Spirit we pray. Peel back your second layer. So as we're at this table and as we drink this cup, You and I are reminded by the resurrection that we are people on the move. That's what we've been talking on Sunday mornings. Because of this resurrection, we are people on the move. And that this table, by the way, it's not just a table. It's a way of life. And as resurrected people... We practice table fellowship and we practice hospitality to a broken world. So not only is, it, is the table part of what we do as we sit together, it's part of who we are. It's our identity and it's also our journey. Let's pray. Father, once again, we simply reflect and say thank you. We just pause. We catch our breath. Father, even as we breathe in and out of our lungs, we think about that moment that breath entered your son's lungs again and blood began to flow through his veins. 
As we drink this cup, we're reminded of the blood that was poured out, his life that was poured out on all humanity. And Father, we're so grateful for your living son, and we hope that we become people who are poured out, that we become people that put the interest of others before ourselves. Father, that become closer and closer to you, and by doing so, we become more like the image of your son. So Father, we thank you for this table. We thank you for this time. We thank you for the invitation. And Father, be with us as we become resurrected people who live resurrected lives, who live table lives for the sake of others. And it's the name of your son, Jesus, and the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. men come and collect your cups. Men can come on out and collect those. And let's continue our thoughts about the Lamb of Glory seated on His throne. We will see the holy city come descending like a bride with the Lamb of Glory seated on His throne. A new earth and a new heaven with its gates thrown open wide. When the King of Zion comes to claim his own, till your kingdom comes in power, saints and angels shall Stan, thank you. John, thank you for leading us through the first two-thirds of Psalm 22. Peter writes in the first chapter of his opening letter, he said, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you search intently and with the greatest care 
trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the suffering of Christ. I can almost imagine David having written this incredible psalm, oftentimes called the fifth passion narrative. Psalm 22 looks forward. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John all look backward. But I can just imagine David as he's trying to answer the question, what is it that the Spirit of God is speaking through me as a prophet of God? As John mentioned, the first two-thirds of this psalm goes through the passion of Jesus. I mean, the, the gospel writers take this psalm, and it's the lens by which they focus so much of what happened around Jesus. But Jesus himself coming through the three hours of darkness, then cries out, Eloi, Eloi, labasachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The first verse of Psalm 22. Now, as John said a few moments ago, if you think that God had forsaken him, Stan said the same thing, you need to read the rest of the psalm. So listen as David tells us of what's to come after Friday and after Saturday. Verse 22. I will declare your name to my brothers. In the congregation, I will praise you. The Hebrew writer in Hebrews 2 says, that's what Jesus said. Those are the words of Jesus as spoken through David. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. And then, here's the key text. I mean, for so long, I failed to realize what Jesus was doing when I preached on this particular text. I thought he was crying out in hopelessness. When in reality, what he's doing is saying, yes, there was darkness that he went through, but he knew the rest of the story. Listen to verse 24. For he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry. And then I love what takes place next. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. He says, listen, I want to just tell you what's happening Before those who fear you, I'll fulfill my vows. And as John said, the afflicted will eat and be satisfied, which is what we just did. And then he goes on and he says this. They who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. And then the last few verses speaks of us. And I hope you'll listen to what he says of us. All the ends of the earth. We'll remember and turn to the Lord. You have and I have. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. You have and I have. He says, for dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. Psalm 2 had said the same thing. And so he says, all the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go to the dust will kneel before him. Philippians 2, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. And I love the next phrase. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. That's you and me. 
I mean, as much as we try, as much as we exercise, as much as we try to eat right, as much as we try to go to the doctor, the reality is we can't stop death from coming. But Jesus could. And so here's the way it ends. Posterity will serve him. Future generations, that's us, will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet born. And then I love the way the psalmist ends. You know, in in John chapter 19, as Jesus is approaching death, John says that he hung his head and he said these simple words. It is finished. And then the psalmist ends with these words. He has done it. And that's what Jesus Christ has done. And that's what we celebrate today. And when, when, as John said, that blood began pumping through his veins again and air filled his lungs again, and he walked out of that tomb forever to live and be alive and promising to us that we shall follow. And that's what we look forward to. We have a beautiful song that we introduced last week. It's from the psalm we studied last week, Psalm 57. But it, in so many ways kind of lets us know what it's like to praise God because of what he has done. And, of course, we want to offer today, today's Easter Sunday, uh, we want to offer an invitation, an invitation to anyone who may need to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, be baptized into his wonderful body. If that is your desire, if you have a need we can help with today, why don't you come on down as all of us stand and sing, Be Exalted.